Go ahead and take out your Bibles with me. I want you to turn first to the book of Deuteronomy. To the first, first to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 21. This is the second of six times that we will celebrate the Lord's Supper together, Lord willing, in 2013. Each time we do this, I am seeking to draw our attention to the suffering and the death of our Savior. I want us to come to the table freshly reminded of the great grace that has been given to us, of the great love that our God has for us. I want us to be moved to worship and to deep gratitude. And I want us to be newly resolved to love this Savior with everything that we are. And so for the first three of the Lord's services, the Lord's Supper services that we are having this year, we are thinking about the various instruments that were used in the torture and the death of our Lord Jesus. Back in February, we began by looking at the crown of thorns. And we saw then that the crown of thorns was deeply symbolic. Throughout the Old Testament, beginning in the third chapter of Genesis, thorns were used as a vivid picture of the curse of God. When the Roman soldiers placed that crown of thorns upon Christ's brow, they were unwittingly symbolizing the truth of what was happening in that moment. The very curse of God because of man's sin, was being placed upon the head of Christ. This had been foreshadowed by that sacrificial ram in Genesis 22 with its horns caught in the thicket as it was about to be sacrificed in the place of Isaac. The crown of thorns was a picture of the curse of God placed upon Christ for us. This morning we look at a second instrument used in the torture and the death of Jesus. This morning we look to the one that we think of most often, the cross, the tree itself, the old rugged cross. Why did Jesus die that way? Let's read our passage. Let's read our passage. We're going to read two. We're going to read two. We're going to read Deuteronomy, and then we're going to read from Galatians. So let's begin Deuteronomy 21, beginning in verse 22. Deuteronomy 21, beginning in verse 22. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree... His body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. 
You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Now don't lose your place. Put a finger there and turn to Galatians 3 and verse 13. Galatians 3 and verse 13. And here's what the Apostle Paul says in this verse. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who was hanged on a tree. So the idea behind this message is that nothing happens by accident. We've seen in our study of Joseph that God works all things after the counsel of His own will. And certainly, every aspect of the death of Jesus was carefully planned, designed, and orchestrated by God. This is the center point of redemption. This is the moment in which more of God's glory is put on display than any other moment in all of history. At the death of Jesus, God's justice and His mercy, His righteousness and His grace, His wrath against sin and His love for sinners all come together in one moment. We can be sure that not one aspect of the death of Jesus was carelessly planned by God. And so we are right to ask, why did God ordain it to be so that His Son would die this way? Why did God choose that His Son would be executed through crucifixion on a tree, on a cross, What was God up to? This message is three parts. First, we're going to remember exactly the role that the tree played in the death of Christ. Second, we're going to consider our two passages that we've read and see the light that they shed on the significance of the cross. And then third, I will make an application to us as we come to the Lord's table. So first, let us remember the role that the cross played in the death of Jesus. Crucifixion was a Roman punishment. It was not a Jewish punishment. This was a way that Romans put criminals to death. The cross would be placed at a major thoroughfare, a place of heavy traffic so that the masses would see what comes of those who dare to break the laws of the empire. It was meant to be a public execution, making a public statement. Jesus was crucified outside of Jerusalem. As Jewish law required, it had to be outside the city. But Jesus was crucified on a hill where many passers-by would see Him as well as the two thieves crucified with Him. That hill that He was crucified on was Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. In crucifixions, a criminal 
would typically have a placard or a sign placed around his neck. And he would be made to walk through the city to his cross with that sign around his neck. And on the sign would be written the crime for which he had been convicted. And the purpose of this was to bring shame and humiliation upon the criminal. We are not told that Jesus had a sign around his neck as he was taken through the streets of Jerusalem, down the Via Dolorosa to Golgotha. Instead, Jesus was made to carry his own cross. Now, there are some things that we just don't know for sure. For example, it has long been debated throughout Christian history whether Jesus was carrying the full cross, like this, or was He carrying the horizontal beam of the cross on His back. The vertical stake, some believe, would have already been on the hill at Golgotha. The soldiers would have then nailed Christ to the horizontal beam once He arrived at the place. And then that horizontal beam with Christ nailed to it would be lifted to its place on the vertical beam. And then Christ's feet would be nailed to the vertical beam. Others, however, point out that the word that Luke uses, for example, when it talks about Jesus carrying His own cross, is the word cross. And they say that that word implies that it was the full cross, the horizontal and the vertical beam that Christ carried through the city. Now, whichever it was, the point is that this would have been a clear message to everyone around that this man was a criminal. This man had been convicted by the law. He was under the curse of the law. He was headed towards his death for crimes committed. This was meant to be a moment of great shame as Jesus carried His cross through a mocking, jeering crowd as if He had done some terrible or despicable thing. Hebrews 12.2 tells us that Jesus endured the cross despising the shame. Jesus suffered this great humiliation of a criminal willingly. Hebrews tells us that He endured this, the mocking, the jeering, the shame, because of the joy that was set before Him. The joy of obeying His Father and entering into the Father's reward. And By the way, you and I are called to imitate Christ's example in enduring whatever shame or humiliation might come our way from this world as we follow our Savior. Hebrews 13.13 says, Therefore let us go to Him outside the camp and bear the reproach that He endured. Now Jesus was carrying His cross and certainly He was very weary Remember, all through the night and early morning, he had been taken from one kangaroo court to another. He had gotten little or no sleep. He had been beaten severely. The skin pulled off of his back. He had lost a lot of blood. He could not carry the cross for very long. 
We are told that a man named Simon from Cyrene was traveling through the city and he happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Or, more correctly, providentially, he was in the right place at the right time. And he was made to carry the cross of Christ. Simon becomes a picture for us of what Jesus meant when he said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus was so weak that not only could he not continue to carry his own cross, he struggled even to walk. It was only with help that he made it to Golgotha. The gospel writers used the word born. He was born along. He was carried along. He had to lean on the soldiers in order to even make it to the hill. And there Jesus was placed onto the cross. The Bible itself doesn't tell us where the horizontal beam was. In other words, we don't know if the cross was in the shape of a capital T, with the horizontal beam placed at the top, or in the shape of a little t, with the horizontal beam placed most of the way up. Certainly Christian history has sort of adopted this form of the cross and assumed that that was the form that was used, but we don't know for sure. Jesus was alive on the tree for approximately six hours. He was crucified at 9 a.m., what Jews called the third hour. Darkness came over the land at noon, which Jews called the sixth hour. At 3 p.m. or the ninth hour, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And soon after, He cried out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And He died. Some years ago, a doctor, Truman Davis, wrote an article for an Arizona medical journal on the physical effects of crucifixion, what it was like to be crucified on a tree. Here is how he described it. He said, The left foot is pressed backwards against the right foot, and with both feet extended, toes down, a nail is driven through the arch of each leaving the knees flexed. The victim is now crucified. And as he slowly sags down with more weight on the nails in the wrists, excruciating, fiery pain shoots along the fingers and up the arms to explode in the brain. The nails in the wrists are putting pressure on the median nerves, As he pushes himself upward to avoid this stretching torment, he places the full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, he feels the searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the bones of his feet. As the arms fatigue, cramps sweep through the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, and throbbing pain. With these cramps come the inability to push oneself upwards in order to breathe. Air can be drawn into the lungs, but it cannot be exhaled. He fights to raise himself up in order to get even one small breath. 
Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and in the bloodstream, and the cramps partially subside. Spasmodically, he is able to push himself upwards to exhale and to bring in life-giving oxygen. Hours of this limitless pain, this cycle of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain as tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber. And then another agony begins. A deep, crushing pain deep in the chest as the pericardium slowly fills with serum and begins to compress the heart. It is now almost over. The loss of tissue fluids has reached a critical level. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissues. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to grasp in small gulps of air. The markedly dehydrated tissues send their flood of stimuli to the brain. End quote. Eventually, due either to loss of strength or loss of feeling in the legs, the crucified man could no longer push himself up to take in oxygen, and he would die of suffocation. So that is a medical analysis of what it was like to be crucified on a tree. Jesus' body would not have been left on the tree for too much longer after he died. That was because Sabbath was beginning at dark. And it was very important to the Jews that the dead body be removed from the tree before the Sabbath began. In fact, the whole process of getting Jesus' body off of the tree and to a tomb where it could stay until the Sabbath was over and could be dealt with properly, it was a very hurried process and there was a lot of providence that uh, was involved in having Jesus placed where he was. There's a lot of significance in how that all played out and we will talk about that one day in in a different message. Now, having seen the role that the tree played in the death of Christ... What do our two passages teach us about why God chose for His Son to die this way? Why a cross of all the means of execution in the world? Why death on a tree? Well, first consider the Deuteronomy passage. Deuteronomy 21, 22 and 23. The instructions given by God to Israel here concern how a dead body is to be handled when it has been hung on a tree. In particular, the command here is that the body is not to remain on a tree overnight. It is to be buried that very day. Now, it is important to understand that Deuteronomy is not talking about a person who has been executed by being hung on a tree the way we might think. Uh, Maybe some of you have seen the old westerns where a criminal is made to sit on the back of a horse, and he is taken on horseback to a tree where a noose is tied to it. And once the noose is tight around the man's neck, the horse is given a pat, the horse gallops away, leaving the man hanging from the noose until he strangles to death. And once he has suffocated, he is often left hanging limp from the tree. 
That is not the picture in Deuteronomy. Jewish law sanctioned only four modes of capital punishment. There were four modes by which a criminal could be put to death under Jewish law. Being hung by the neck was not one of them. Their four modes were stoning, burning, beheading, and the strangling of a criminal as he stood on the ground. A criminal's body would be put on a tree from time to time, but only after it was already dead. Moreover, while our translators continue to use the word hang in this passage, the commentaries almost unanimously agree that the Hebrew word used here literally means to impale. In other words, Deuteronomy is not speaking about a dead criminal's body who is hanging on a tree from a noose or something like that. No, it's speaking of a body that has been pierced. It is attached to the tree through piercing. Now, why would the people of Israel attach a dead body to a tree? Well, the answer, of course, was that this was meant to make a statement to others. What was that statement? Well, it's the statement that's right here in our verse. The reason that a criminal's body would be attached to a tree is the same reason that it shouldn't be left on overnight. A hanged, or literally impaled man, is cursed by God. You see that in the verse? A hanged man is cursed by God. You see, like many ancient peoples, Israel would sometimes put the bodies of criminals on a tree to send a message to the rest of the public about justice. Everyone who saw that body would know that this person had died for crimes that he had committed. The curse of the law had come upon this man. This was meant to be a strong deterrent to would-be criminals. But Israel was not like other nations. And Israel's law was not like the law of other ancient peoples. Israel's law was given to them by God Himself. The law that Israel had was not the result of a group of leaders in a committee meeting, sitting in a conference room, debating what should or should not be prohibited. No, the law of Israel was handed down to Israel from God through Moses. So when Israel put the body of a criminal on a tree, it was a clear message that the curse of God had come upon that man for the sins he had committed. It was an evidence that this person had broken the law of God and that this was God's penalty of death that had been handed down. And so this was meant to send a strong religious as well as judicial message. Now, it would have been very unwise to leave a body like that on a tree for a long period of time. Even the bodies of criminals are ultimately to be treated with the dignity of burial. Uh, Calvin points out that a culture that does not bury its criminals but leaves them hanging on trees is likely to become a society that is even more cruel and more murderous. More than that, Israel was told by God to bury these criminals so as not to defile their land. Israel was coming into the promised land. 
Israel was coming into the land flowing with milk and honey. This was the land where God had promised to bless them with life. You don't want to defile that with dead bodies hanging from trees. And so God says, you can make your statement, but when darkness comes, take the body down. What's the main point of the Deuteronomy passage for us? The main point is that God had designed it to be so. That a Jewish man's body on a tree was an indication that the curse of God had come upon him for crimes committed. That was the significance of a Jewish man's body on a tree. It was a statement that God's curse had come upon him for crimes committed. Now that raises a big question, of course. If that's true, why would God allow his sinless son to be placed on a tree? What is God saying when he takes the blameless, righteous, pure Messiah and puts him on a tree like a criminal who has been cursed? Remember, the tree is meant to be a spectacle. The tree is meant to be a place where a statement is being made. But the statement that you're supposed to make through the tree doesn't make sense in Jesus' case. He wasn't a criminal. He wasn't a sinner. And yet, the point of Jesus dying on a cross was to make clear that in His death, the curse of God came upon Him for crimes committed. Look at Galatians 3.13 and look at what Paul says. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Whose curse was it? Whose tree was that supposed to be? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, and he quotes from Deuteronomy, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Friends, Jesus was not a criminal and not a lawbreaker. But you and I are. You and I can walk through the Ten Commandments if we want. And if we consider them honestly, if we use them as a mirror for our own soul, we will find that every single one of us are guilty of every single one of them. We are criminals who have broken the law of God and we have broken it badly. We have trampled it. And we are by nature under God's curse. We deserve the penalty of death. We deserve execution. Not just execution of this body, but execution of the soul. Eternal death in hell itself. We deserve the curse of God's law. His righteous wrath poured out upon us for all eternity. And yet Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Just as the crown of thorns was meant to be a vivid picture of the curse of God against sinners coming upon the head of Christ, The cross is meant to make a statement. It is meant to be a picture of that same truth. The tree means that the curse of God came upon Christ 
not because of his sins, but because of ours. It was our tree, and Christ bore it in our place. It was our curse, and Christ endured it in our place, if we believe. Paul uses the word redeemed. It means that Christ purchased us from the hell we deserved by paying a price. And the price that was paid was the price of His blood. The reason God uses these physical, visible pictures, like the crown of thorns, like the tree, is because the curse itself is invisible. The people standing around the cross that day, they could see the the physical anguish of Jesus. They could see the blood pour down His body. They could see the emerging bruises and the marks left behind by the whip. They could see the crown of thorns and the nails that attached Christ to the tree. They could see His struggle for breath and the wincing and the groanings that He expressed. But what they could not see was the most important thing of all. God allowed us to have visible, physical pictures so that we could have just a grasp of the real, more important thing that was happening. The people could not see the very wrath of God coming upon the soul of Christ. The suffering of Christ's soul was the soul of His suffering, the Puritans used to say. It was in Christ's very soul that hell itself was being experienced. It was in Christ's soul that He experienced for the first time what He had never experienced before, what it was to be forsaken by God. All of God's righteous anger and wrath against sin was unleashed upon the soul of Christ. And it was seen by no one. And so God used physical and visible and symbolic things to teach us about the spiritual reality. God used physical instruments like the thorns, like the cross, to make clear what was happening in the spiritual realm. Christ's very soul enduring the curse of God that our souls deserve. And Jesus did this willingly. He paid the price our souls deserved willingly. Christ paid it, and He paid it completely. Amen? He fully bore the wrath of God for our sins so that we can say, surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This was the plan all along. This was a plan rooted in the love of God. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. This was love on display in suffering. So what's the implication for us? The implication is that we should receive what Jesus has done for us through faith. We should submit ourselves to the Savior. We should commit ourselves to follow Him and we should rest in Him. Dear friends, we should cherish this Savior above all else. 
This man is the lover of your soul who endured the tree and became a curse for us. Do you see his love for you? Do you feel his love for you? Do you love him in return? Are you trusting him? Are you resting in him? Are you following him? Is he your savior? Most of the Jews in the first century could not accept this gospel because it sounded so foolish. Everything about a cross spoke to Jews about the shame and guilt and the curse of God. How could they believe that the Messiah they've been waiting for, the Messiah they've been longing for, the Messiah they've been praying for, He's come and God cursed Him? That can't be the Messiah. God doesn't curse a Messiah. That's why the message of the Gospel seemed like foolishness, a stumbling block in the ears of the Jews. We're looking for a righteous king, not a criminal cursed on a cross. Which is what they thought the cross meant. So I ask you this morning, what is your take on the gospel? When you hear me say that God placed a sinless man on a tree and caused him to suffer and die in the place of sinners, do you hear foolishness or wisdom? Do you see in the gospel message that God is a glorious God of justice and yet love, wrath and yet mercy, or does it all sound far-fetched to you? I am here this morning as an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He is saying to your soul this morning, look at the cross. Look at the tree. I bore the curse that sinners deserve. I did it because I wanted to. I did it because I love you. Will you not come to me? Will you not be mine? Will you not listen to my teachings and learn from me? Will you not take my yoke upon you? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Will you not draw close to me? Dear friends, the cross of Jesus is the only way of salvation. There is no other way. Have we turned from our sins? Are we turning from our sins? Have we raised up the white flag of surrender? Have we given ourselves in love to the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself up for us? Let's pray.